as I mentioned before most of you got here, uh, this is Ben. He wasn't even in here when I mentioned it. So, uh, uh, And Holly is his wife over here. What's wrong? You guys aren't sitting together. It's Curtis, you're like sitting in between. Um, they are starting a, a church plant in Broad Ripple, and it's young. It's it's in infant form, and so they've come here to hang out with us today. So if you can just like quickly stand around them real quick, and we're just going to pray for them real quick. Lord, we're here today as a community of believers because we believe in in you, Jesus, the Son of God who came and died on the cross and forgave us of all of our sins and cleansed us from all unrighteousness and made us righteous and holy. And today, as brothers and sisters, we sit here and know that uh, Ben and Holly and their friends that are, again, going into the community with your word, with your message, with your truth, that... Lord, it's not about how big they grow their church, but it's about proclaiming the glory of God that lives inside of them. And so I pray that you give them courage. I pray that you cause them to be bold. I pray for our people to remember them and to pray for them and to lift them up and to constantly ask about them and to encourage them in whatever ways that may be. So, Lord, uh, thanks for the church that we are the bride of Christ and that uh, we look forward to that great wedding someday when we all stand together and celebrate. And so, Lord, thank you for today. And we pray these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. For those of you that are guests with us today, we've been going through uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels that are the beginning of the New Testament. Most of that is Old Covenant. It's not part of the Old Testament, but it's Old Covenant because the New Covenant wasn't ushered in until after Jesus was crucified on the cross. And in saying that, We've taken Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We've kind of sewn it all together chronologically, and we're we're walking through Jesus' earthly ministry here. And we're to a specific point where uh, many of you would refer to this as the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, depending on who you read. If you look at Luke, it says he was on level ground, but uh, Matthew says that he climbed up on a mountain and they tell the same story. So we're assuming that it's the same message in the same area at the same time. Now here's, here's the kicker about the Sermon on the Mount. Is I've, I'm, I'm 53 and I don't know how many different interpretations I've heard of the Sermon on the Mount. For instance... Augustine came along in 350 
and he said it's the pattern for Christian life. He believed that a sermon was a perfect pattern or standard for the Christian life and that its teachings perfectly guide those who may be willing to live according to them. Now, this approach that Augustine came up with is generally what every evangelical church teaches, that these are Jesus' red-letter words. He spoke these things, and we're supposed to live these things out just like he said them. Martin Luther held that the commands of the sermon were binding upon all Christians, He kind of tightened it up there, like this is a requirement. He writes, The injunctions of the Sermon on the Mount are not counsels but precepts. They are not exhortations addressed to those who aspire perfection, but commands binding upon all Christians. That's tough. Martin Luther was tough. Thomas Aquinas comes along and he says, He understood the Sermon on the Mount to be a moral code for a select few. He held that only the religious orders in the monastery and the the convent were expected to fully comply with the Sermon on the Mount. Well, that frees us up a little bit, right? Then Tolstoy, the Russian novelist, social reformer, he took an extremely literal and legalistic interpretation of the Sermon on the Mount And he viewed it as a blueprint for a new society. If this wants to be the perfect society, this is what you're going to have to do to do this. You're going to have to live by the Sermon on the Mount. Then Gerthard Cattell believed that the precepts of the Sermon on the Mount could not be fulfilled. And that Jesus recognized this fact. Like the law, it was designed to bring his hearers to the consciousness that they cannot in their own strength Fulfill the demands of God. Mm, That's getting close right there. This is the sixth interpretation. According to Johannes Weiss and Albert Schweitzer, the sermon presents an ethic valid only for a time of crisis. The sermon presents an ethic valid. Jesus' interim ethic was an emergency ethic for his disciples, like it was only intended for that period of time. Then Johannes Mueller, he says the sermon gives direction rather than directions. It's not intended to be interpreted like a new yoke or law. Rather, Jesus was suggesting the attitudes and the inward disposition that ought to characterize his followers. I got two more. Hang on. The dispensationalists believe that the sermon cannot be fulfilled in this present age, but will be possible to live when God concludes history and ushers in his millennial kingdom. Like it's not for now, it wasn't for then, it's not for now, it's for the future. And then the last one is Dwight Pentecost argues that the sermon is connected with the offer of the kingdom. Rather than describing the characteristics of the future millennial kingdom, the sermon sets forth high requirements which must be met in order to enter the kingdom. If you want to get to heaven, you've got to fulfill this sermon on the mount. Now, I just read nine different interpretations of Matthew's chapter 5, 6, and 7. 
what are you going to believe? Like, if you take those red letters, that section out, and you just study it, you can come up with nine interpretations or even so many more. But if you take those three chapters and you keep it inside of the context of where we've been going chronologically, let's try to make sense of this this morning. And I pray that the Holy Spirit moves in this room to cause you to see it. I've dealt with two suicides this week. And the pressure, the pressure of life in itself is difficult in this fallen world. But if you take Jesus' red letters and you put those upon yourself as this is what I have to do to perform as a Christian and you can't live up to those, then you fail. And you just keep repeating that cycle and you keep repeating that cycle and you keep repeating that cycle. Are you with me? There's, there's almost like there's this added pressure to being a Christian. And it doesn't make sense because Jesus says, I came that you might have life and that you might have abundantly, that you might be free. The same man that preached this same sermon So understand this. I want you to look at the first few verses here, which we call the Beatitudes, is there's the Old Covenant, which the Pharisees are teaching. They're teaching the law. They're teaching the Mosaic law. Here's God gave us this law. Remember this, right? Remember what we've we've talked about the last two or three weeks? God gave us the Ten Commandments. He said, do these things and I will bless you. If you don't do these things, I will curse you. That was for the Jews, the Jews there in Israel. Well, they couldn't do those 10 things, right? Remember, he gave like Adam and Eve one rule, this whole thing, gave them one rule, and then he gave the Jews 10 commandments and they couldn't do that. Then he comes along in Leviticus and he gives 613 laws. He just keeps like ramping this thing up from one rule, Adam and Eve don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They blew that. Here's Ten Commandments. We blew that. 613 Levitical laws. They blew that because they kept getting attacked by their enemies and being dispersed. King Nebuchadnezzar comes in and takes them to Babylonia. And then they come along and say, you know... God's given us all these laws and we keep, keep disobeying them and we keep suffering the consequences of disobeying them. You know what we need? More laws. <laughs> we need more laws to protect us because these laws weren't enough. That's just like today, right? When we break laws here, we just make more laws. Look at the public schools. Let's just keep making more rules in the public schools. And so what they did is they came up with this oral law, which, as I've said in the past, like they said, keep the Sabbath holy. They added 1,500 laws. Today, that book was right here, 
It's called the Mishnah. There's 800 pages of Jewish laws that are oral laws. These are oral laws that were added to the Ten Commandments and the 613 that are found in Leviticus. They're man-made laws. They're not God's law. They're man's law. Jesus was all about teaching God's law, not man's law. He was all about teaching Mosaic law because he was a Jew, right? He was a Jew. So let's get that straight. All right, so we're going to dig into Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Actually, let, let me back up to where we were. We were in Luke chapter 6, verse 17, and let me read that to you. It says, After coming down with him, he stood on a level place, and that is why sometimes it's called the Sermon on the Plain. He stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. So that means he had both Jews and Gentiles in his audience. Because Simone and Tidon were areas that were Gentile areas. Jerusalem, Judea being obviously from the Jews. He says, they came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said this. And then we jump to Matthew chapter 5. And Matthew says, When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and he sat down, and his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, The poor in spirit are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Let's stop right there and get this thing straight. Because... What I consider righteousness and what the Pharisees considered righteousness are two different things. I just prayed for this group right here and said that Jesus Christ came and he died on the cross. His blood was poured out, forgiveness. And he made them what? Righteous. He made them righteous. Like, look, you're righteous because of what Jesus did on the cross. It's not something that is to come. It's something that you are right now. He took your old heart, your old heart, evil heart out that that Jeremiah talked about, a wicked heart. He took that out, stone-cold heart, and he replaced it with a new heart. Ezekiel says, I come and I replace it with a heart of flesh. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. You're holy, you're righteous, you're redeemed. That's who you are. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, righteousness was all based upon the external, not the internal that we just talked about. It was all about doing. Like we had to do the law. God said, do the law, and this is how you earn your righteousness. That was the old covenant. That's what the old covenant was. If you did the law, if you obeyed the law, then you were righteous. If you disobeyed the law, now look at you. You sit here and you go, yeah, but I'm just righteous. I'm not under the law. That's what Galatians says. Paul says in Galatians, I'm not under the law. 
So when you read this thing, this thing that's before the cross, this isn't for you. This is for the Jews that are sitting right there at Jesus' feet on the mountains. Hey, watch. Just breathe. Relax. You're already righteous. You're already holy. He made you holy. He's already forgiven you. That's not the case for these guys sitting at Jesus' feet. He's done the one rule, the Ten Commandments, the 613 laws, and now he's going to really, really crank this thing up. So I ask you when I read the poor in spirit, how poor in spirit do you have to be? <laughs> how poor in spirit do you have to be? What, where's the mark? Right? I guarantee you if I pulled two people out, uh, out of here and asked you what poor in spirit is, you'd have two different levels of poor in spirit. No one's going to agree on the same level of being poor in spirit. There's no way to measure that. It's like Jesus took this bar and he just like raised it a little bit higher than the 613 laws. Let's make this thing a little bit more difficult for him. I watched a mom and dad in poor in spirit last night. as I informed them that their son was no longer alive. Can you get any more poor in spirit? I don't know. It says the poor in spirit are blessed for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn are blessed for they will be comforted. And we're not talking about the morning that I experienced last night with this family. We're talking about a morning for just the lostness of people. Not the physical, but the spiritual. Those that mourn after those who are lost. It says, for they will be comforted. It says, the gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. You know, if I were to describe a Pharisee, I wouldn't describe them as gentle. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Man, that was one of the things that mom said last night. I couldn't ever get him to want. Could never get him to be thirsty or hungry for righteousness. And I. I, as I sit here, go, the pressure's off. Pressure's off of me. I wish I could do that for you. I wish I could do that for you, but it's not my responsibility. If I truly believe what I'm teaching up here, I believe that there's a spirit inside of you, a spirit of God that's inside of you, and it's his responsibility 
to cause you to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Therefore, it's not based upon my own trying to be hungry and thirst for righteousness. The pressure is off, friends. He then says, The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. What in the world is the pure in heart for those who have no spirit of God inside of them? How do do you... (laughs) How do you tell the Pharisees, you're supposed to be pure in heart? These, these are guys that like made up their own laws, made up their own rules, and they followed them, and they broke them. Watch this. It says, the peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called sons of God. The peacemakers... Those are the guys, the same guys that were like selling stuff in the temple, causing people to pay extra for their sacrifices. They're almost like troublemakers. And in verse 10 he says, Those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You see, everything that Jesus has mentioned here in these Beatitudes, one, there's no way to measure the level of what is the top. What's good enough? Externally, I'm talking externally, what can you do personally to get to the top of that ladder? I don't know what the top is, first of all. But here's what I know internally. I'm there. If I can... If I can know the Father more and learn to walk by the Spirit more. That this guy that is can be a real jerk sometimes, mercy will flow out. A hunger and a, a thirst for righteousness flows out. And it's not because I did anything. It's because the Spirit's moving inside of me. And then he says, You are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. It's almost like he's speaking to those who are the believers there at his feet. If you're a follower of me, I guarantee you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be laughed at. You're going to be mocked. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how the persecuted, how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Like, you guys just need to do your thing. What I've called you to do. Understand that bad stuff is going to happen. Understand that you're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. And the suffering may even cause you to cry. But it's going to be okay. Your reward is coming. Your reward's coming. Just hang on. This is only temporary. He says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? 
Now he's looking right at the Pharisees when he says this. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? Like you, salt is here as a to uh, preserve. It's the whole purpose of it. We think it's for taste, but it's to preserve. And these Pharisees were anything but doing that. He says, it's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled on by men. (laughs) That's a a superhero move right there, man. Jesus looks at these dudes that are like ready to kill him, and he says, the things that you guys are doing should just be taken out and trampled on by men worthless what you're doing that whole book right there is worthless that's crazy he says you are the light of the world a city situated on a hill cannot be hidden no one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket but rather on a lampstand and gives light for all those who are in the house in the same way let your light shine before men so that you may see your good works and give glory to your father in heaven You see, I believe there's a difference between, obviously, light and dark. And what Jesus is saying here is, hey, I intended for you guys to be the light of the world, but you've put this cover on top of it, and now it's just darkness. And there isn't anybody that wants that. That wasn't my intentions at all. This fallen world, not his intentions at all. He says, don't assume that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. When Jesus says this, he's looking at the Pharisees and he says, hey, I've done everything perfectly up to this point. And everything I've done perfectly lines up with the Ten Commandments in the 613 Levitical laws. It may not line up with your thousands and thousands of laws, but it's lined up with everything my Father has provided. I am, I am the perfection of the law. I am the righteousness of the law. He didn't come to destroy it, didn't come to, like, take it away. He came to fulfill it, for only he could do it. He says, For I assure you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all things are accomplished. Everything these prophets talk about right here, it's going to be fulfilled. The crazy thing is, a lot of it has already been fulfilled. And how do people not see this thing? How do they not see this thing? How do they not look at the Middle East and just go, this thing's been talked about for hundreds of years in the Scripture. Everything that's happening today here in 2017 is prophesied right here in Scripture. How do you not see this thing? It's playing out before our very eyes. And Jesus says, it's all going to be true by the end. says therefore whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least 
at, in the kingdom of heaven. You know what James says? If you break one law, you've broken them all, right? says that, therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches people to do so will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, <laughs> this is huge. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. In other words, he just said right there, the scribes and the Pharisees are not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. You're not getting in doing this stuff right here. You're not getting in based upon your external righteousness. Because you aren't capable of doing it. We've already proven for hundreds of years, all the way back to Adam and Eve, all the way to where Jesus is sitting there with them, the Pharisees, they can't, you, you right here can't even keep the law. There's literally people that have tried to keep the Sermon on the Mount for a year and it was impossible. Just for a year. But when you walk out on the street and you gaze upon someone of the opposite sex and you have this thought, you blew it. That's what he's talking about. You blew it. You can't keep the Jesus has raised this bar so high, you can't do it. And then he gets into this. He says, <clears throat> "But uh, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven." He says, "You have heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder." He takes he takes one of the ten commandments and he says. This is one of God's laws, but what you have heard from the Pharisees, what you have heard is different. Like, even the Pharisees cranked up this do not murder law. And Jesus says, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, <laughs> you've heard this. From these guys, he says, But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. What? I mean, we're, we're talking about murder is going to be subject to judgment. But now he's like, if you're just angry with your brother, you're subject to judgment. I'm going to raise this bar a little higher. I can double what the Pharisees did. Do you see what he's doing, right? He says... And whoever says to his brother, fool, will be subject to the Sanhedrin. But whoever says, you moron, will be subject to hellfire. It's great, isn't it? So if you're offering your gifts on the altar, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him, and or your adversary will hand you over to the judge. The judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. I assure you, you will never get out of there until you have paid the last penny. How many times have we taken that passage of Scripture and applied it to our lives here today and said, here's what we're supposed to do as brothers in Christ. When the truth of the matter is, there's a holy living God in, inside of you that has told you far greater things than this. 
Do you really have to go to the law to know what you're supposed to do in a situation like that? If you're walking by the Spirit, the Spirit's going to lead you to do that. He's going to lead you to make it right with your brother. I don't need a law to tell me what to do. He says, you have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If we were to do the Sermon on the Mount, watch this. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. (laughs) Are you kidding me? Like that, that right there, who's done that? crazy impossible how high can he raise the bar verse 31 it says it was also said whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce you see the pharisees in their laws there's laws in here is about about divorce and if she burns your evening dinner you can divorce her If she burns your dinner, you can divorce her. That's laws that they made up. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. He says, but I tell you, everyone who divorces his wife, except in a case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the law. This is like the law. This is the greatest form of law that we have in the Scripture. This is all before the cross. He says, again, you have heard that it was said to your ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oath to the Lord. But I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it is God's throne or by earth because it is his footstool or by Jerusalem because it is the city of the great king. Neither should you swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black. But let your word yes be yes and your no be no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. I would have loved to have sat there and watched Jesus deliver this message to the Pharisees. He's literally just slapping them around. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. (laughs) He's hitting the Pharisees now in their pockets. These are the guys that love money. 
In fact, their whole salvation was based upon how much money they had. The more money they had, the more salvation they had. And Jesus is like saying, give them your coat, give them your money. Now they're really cranked up. And then he closes. He says, you have heard that it was said. He doesn't close because this is just chapter 5. I'm closing. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father in heaven for he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? This is Matthew. Matthew's writing this. He was a tax collector. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? And then it comes. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's funny. <laughs> Good luck with that. Good luck with that in your external doing good and righteousness. Go for it. Try it for a day. Be perfect as your Father is perfect. Let me relieve you of the pressure. We're not done with the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> but know this. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 14. This is after the cross. This is pertaining to us in the room right here. He says, For one, for by one offering... One offering, that being Jesus Christ, his blood poured out. You have been perfected, those who are sanctified. Look, it's not based upon what I am doing or what I have done or what I'm going to do. It's literally based upon who I am. He has perfected me. I know you sit here and look at me and you look at the things that I do and I'm not saying that I walk around and I live in sinless perfection. I'm not saying that. But that's not who I am. Who I am in my soul and my spirit is that I am absolutely perfected. I still have this earth suit, this flesh suit, and it has a piece of meat up here called a brain and I make bad choices. I make bad choices all the time. And I suffer the consequences of them. But it doesn't change who I am. I'm righteous. I'm holy. I'm perfect. Only because of what he's done for me. This whole Sermon on the Mount thing, that was for the Jews. That was for the Pharisees. That was for them in the Old Covenant. Because it is impossible to do. The only thing that he wanted to do is say, you can't do this. I'll do it for you. I'm your Savior. 
I'm the Messiah. You haven't figured this out yet. You've watched me do all these miracles. You've watched me do all these things. Look, whatever I have to do to convince you, you can't do this in your own strength, I'll do it. I'm going to double everything that you've taught. Everything I'll, I'll, I'll double down on everything that you've taught. You, you try it. And you're going to get to a point of brokenness where you can't do it. And you're going to come to me call me savior and then be ready for a real adventure (laughs) be ready for a real adventure I live in that adventure the highs and the lows father I pray that your word really does bring freedom to our people that we can read it in the context of what it is and understand exactly what those red letters mean. I pray that you unpack it for us. That we can clearly understand that you've come to be our Savior, that you are the Messiah. And not only our Savior, but the Lord of our life, that you literally are the boss, that you literally do this for us. And it's in those things I pray, not only for me, but for my friends here, my family here. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.